0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 19th of August 2021.
0: And Norman, it's a massive worry when we're seeing the virus spreading so rapidly in Greater Sydney and other metropolitan areas, but it's a really, really big worry when it gets into regional communities, as we're seeing now, especially in New South Wales. Can we just remind ourselves of why it can be such a bad thing when a virus like COVID gets into the regional areas?
1: It's on multiple fronts, and really it's what's been predicted, but not seen, and hopefully And I think that we were hoping that we would be wrong about this. But if we go back to last year, to start with, regions were complaining why were they locked down when they didn't have any cases or very few cases. There were some cases in Victoria last year. But this is a much more infectious virus. But even in the United States with the original virus, when they got their second wave, it really hit regional centres in the United States very hard. And there are multiple factors that make regional Australia and regions anywhere quite vulnerable. Interestingly, there was a paper in the, the JAMA Network and Journal of the American Medical Association looking at regional United States. And the issues are quite similar.
0: But the United States has quite a different healthcare system to Australia. So there's more at play here than just the way the healthcare system set up, right?
1: They do. But similarly to Australia, they rely a bit more on the public system than they do here. They've got limited medical capacity outside the major metropolitan areas. They've got a workforce problem outside the major metropolitan areas. They've got financial stress outside the major metropolitan areas. So, you know, in Australia, there's drought. Um, there's always problem, There are always problems in terms of the financial viability of many areas in, in rural and regional Australia. And it's the same in the United States. I mean, they've had long droughts in different parts of America. So I'm not saying that we're just like America, but you can't take comfort in the fact that houses are further apart from each other or you're living on properties Because regional Australia is a bit more social and a little bit more focused because you tend to converge on the same country towns, the same shops and so on, and then go back to where you came from. And then you've got really vulnerable populations in regional areas in terms of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander communities, but in New South Wales Aboriginal communities, particularly the Wiradjuri community. And it's always been a huge risk in terms of getting into those communities. And the other thing that we share with the United States in terms of regional communities is under immunisation. So the the, uh, communities in the United States in regional areas are not well immunised and they're not well immunised in Australia either. So you have a lot of factors converging, but the really worrying one is this getting into Aboriginal communities.
0: And part of the reason for that is because, I mean, there are people with poor health in metro areas and in regional and remote areas, but they're perhaps people who have complex medical conditions and we know that um, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander people are more likely to, to, to be living with these conditions.
1: Yeah, so there's more, there's more so-called comorbidity. In other words, you've got other problems as well. But the, the really critical cultural issue in Aboriginal communities is that the most vulnerable group, are the elders. So age plus coexistent diseases, the elders are really vulnerable. Now the community controlled health organisations throughout Australia really came together last year and organised themselves well to protect elders and did a fantastic job. But this virus finds every chink in our armour and it's found its way into those communities. Just never forget something called the inverse care law. This was a saying invented by a General practitioner called Julian Tudor Hart in South Wales, not New South Wales, but South Wales, and where the most care goes to those who need it least, and the least care goes to those who need it most. And the other seeing, and I can't remember who said it, is that essentially pandemics show the fractures in our community. And that's what you're seeing now in regional New South Wales.
0: And so one of the uh, independent data journalists that we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, Norman, is of course Juliet O'Brien. And yesterday she was making the point that even though the the numbers of cases are high in those 12 local government areas of concern in Greater Sydney, than the surrounding areas, that the growth rate is the same outside of those areas of concern, and that that should be something that we're looking at and acting on now.
1: Yes. Um, and it, essentially what Juliet's talking about is that the, while well, the dominant number of cases at the moment are in those LGAs, and they seem to be tailing off a little bit in some of them, like Canterbury Bankstown and Fairfield, but they are spreading into other areas. And when they get into other areas, this reproduction number is at the same rate and this is all about going hard going early and the and and the argument that in fact the same rule should apply elsewhere because the numbers grow slowly so it's slow exponential growth to begin with so 10 cases become 11 11 cases then the basis for the next part next 10% growth but as you get to large numbers it looks as if it's speeding up it's actually not speeding up it's the same growth rate as it was before it's just that A 1.1, meaning a 10% growth uh, each viral cycle, means that when you've got 400 cases, they become 440. And then 440 becomes 45 cases. And then it's really, this, this curve starts to go steeply. So it spreads quickly and it gets out of control before you know it.
0: And just to step outside of New South Wales for a moment, let's check in in like Victoria, ACT, and even New Zealand seems to be linked to the New South Wales outbreak.
1: So Victoria's still got a job of work to do. It's lucky that it's got a small number, a much smaller number of cases. It's got it got in early, but they're dealing with what I think also Juliet O'Brien said last the other night on seven thirty when I interviewed her, is that there really are an unknown number of incursions from New South Wales into Victoria. So they really don't know how many separate clusters or outbreaks they're dealing with, and that makes it pretty scary. The ACT is showing also how difficult this is to control. It's that New South Wales, to be blunt, is really messing this up for everyone, including New Zealand.
0: So, yeah, as we're recording, both the ACT and New Zealand know that it's come from the Sydney second wave, but then the actual link has not been sort of established yet. But, Norman, you and I have talked a lot about daily case numbers, effective reproduction numbers as numbers that we should be looking at, growth rates. But another number that is very informative for us when we're looking at how an outbreak is going is the test positivity rate.
1: Yes, and Casey Briggs, our colleague at the ABC, has noted that there's been a really big jump in the test positivity rate, and it's gone up to 0.6%. Now, just to put this in perspective...
0: This is a bad thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the higher that is, it means the more people are positive... in in the number of tests you're doing. So it's a function of how much virus there is around, but also how much virus you are that is around you're picking up on your tests. So the higher it is, it means potentially the more virus you're missing. Now, the World Health Organization says you should keep this under 5%. So we're well under 5%. And I think it got to about 1% at one point in the Victorian second wave last year, but it is going up. So there was a drop the day before yesterday in the testing rate. In other words, maybe 50,000 fewer people came forward for testing. It was still pretty high, over 100,000. So that could be a reason it went up, but the fact that there might be more virus circulating. Now remember, in some parts of the world, in the United States and so on, they've got up to a 20% rate of test positivity, which means they're missing a huge number of cases out there in the community. So we're nowhere near that yet, but it is a worrying sign. And it's also a sign which is already being observed is that probably already the majority of spread here are not people who are breaking rules. It's people who are catching the disease in the course of perhaps their work, taking it home and then you've got household spread. So they're doing nothing wrong, but there's there's enough virus out there that you can catch it. Just by being out there.
0: With this number, the thing that makes it doubly worrying in New South Wales, in particular, is that they're also doing a huge number of tests every day. It's not like they're not doing enough. Well, it's not like they're not doing a lot of tests.
1: No, but there's been a steady a steady rise in the in the test positivity rate. So from uh, July, the beginning of July, through to the middle of August, it just slowly went up from just a little, you know, probably about 0.05% up to about 0.04%. And then it's taken this big leap in a single day, almost to 0.6%. So it's, it's it has been going up, which is what you'd expect to happen, even if you've got massive testing rates, if there's more virus out there in the community.
0: So let's take some questions. Clinton's written in Norman asking, if New South Wales zero is no longer an option, but it's still possible elsewhere, what do we do? Do we just open up, does New South Wales become an island or does the New South Wales door go welded shut and everyone else tries for zero again so that the borders can open cleanly?
1: Um, Well, I think the way it works in in Australia at the moment is that New South Wales will be locked away for many months to come. I think the Burnett Institute has suggested right at the beginning, almost to Christmas. The metric you're moving towards is not so so much the number of cases a day, but the number of people who get into hospital, who go into intensive care and who die. It's going to be a huge psychological and political issue for other states to open up to New South Wales when there's still a lot of cases in New South Wales, which there will be, but they might not have the immunisation rates. And even if they have the immunisation rates, so it's a real situation for premiers in other states to take a deep breath on this. And when do they take a deep breath? When they're at 80%? Israel's at 80% of the adult population, and they've got a significant surge. They'll get a significant surge too by opening up to New South Wales. Very difficult situation, which is why psychologically, as much as anything else, we've got to get to the rate of hospitalisation, the rate of going into intensive care, the rate of death, and show that when you get to a certain level of immunisation, that really drops down to very low levels. And you can tolerate... A reasonable number of cases a day.
0: The flip side of Clinton's question is this one from Sasha who's saying, what does Norman mean when he refers to getting the New South Wales second wave under control? Uh, Sasha makes the point that you often say this after quoting experts who think COVID zero is out of reach. What are we aiming for here?
1: Well, I think that is what I just said, that is that we are pivoting faster than we would otherwise have liked to a situation where our metric is who's ending up in hospital, what proportion of cases are ending up in hospital, then in intensive care, then uh, dying, and what age groups do they comprise. That's the metric that we're talking about here. I can't find any epidemiologist who who thinks that we're going to bend the curve in New South Wales to the extent that we're down to zero spread or anything near it. We're going to have spread a relatively high number of cases each day, but hopefully we will show what we've been promised, which is highly likely, which is that hospitalisation rates will go right down. But that means in states, so if you're listening to Coronacast in Western Australia, it means you've all got to go out and get immunised because West Australians cannot stay closed to the world or indeed New South Wales forever. You're going to have to open up and you're going to have to get to those very high levels of immunisation as are other states as well.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. While you're waiting for our next episode, go and book a vaccination and we'll catch you tomorrow.
1: Particularly... If you're over 60, get that Astra into your arm right now. Get up to 90, 95% of over 60-year-olds fully immunised. That's the first step, and then everybody else
0: move forward as well. See you tomorrow.